this night, tonight, is December 7th, 2016. Our uh, message tonight is entitled, Sovereign Remedy. Sovereign Remedy. You know, that is, out of the times that I've preached here from this pulpit, that is the very first time that I've ever said that correctly. So we're already going to have a good message tonight, amen? It's already going well. Praise the Lord. So I have one question to open up with tonight, and that is a simple question. How are you guys doing on rising up this week? How are you doing on rising up this week? Anybody been rising up these first three days? Come on, somebody shout it out. I'm rising up this week. Amen. Let us not grow weary or forget about the things that the Lord prepared for this body not three days ago. It's important that we dwell on these messages because they are absolutely from the heavens. Amen? Amen. So as you go through this week, think about what my brother preached on Sunday about rising up, there are opportunities riddled throughout every single day of our lives where we have opportunities to either shrink back or rise up. Amen? Amen. Let's rise up to the occasion. Uh, I want to start where Judah finished on Sunday. Some of these verses, Revelation 3 is where we're going to start tonight. want to hop right out there from where Judah finished. Anybody been meditating on the church in Sardis this week? I know I have. Pastor Eric, Monday night at his house, at the the Southern Fins, I guess that's a good way to say that. He talked about this very scripture again on Monday night. It's important. Let's listen to it again. Verse 2 says, Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. You know what Sardis means? Anybody? It means Prince of Joy. Look, What we're going through in this church of Sardis, with our deeds being incomplete, rising up to the occasion, it's producing, or going to produce in your life, starting right now, a sense of joy that cannot leave you, that will not be trumped. Did you notice during worship tonight that joy came up at least twice in the worship? The Lord wants to hit on this church of Sardis. He wants to hit on you being a prince of joy in the midst of adversity and trial in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, if you want to talk about joy from a distinction, you want to know more about that. Andrew has an incredible word uh, that uh, he would love to share with you sometime soon. Grab him and ask him what it means to have joy through distinction sometime, and he'd love to walk you through some scriptures, right? Amen. Amen. Let's, Let's turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 12 says the following. Blessed. Somebody say blessed in the house of God. Blessed. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. How good is that crown that we will receive? How good is that crown? How, how good is it going to be when we receive that crown of everlasting life? That, that the thing that no one can steal from you and I, the thing that no one can take away, how good is that crown going to be? And how little do these light and momentary troubles appear to us right now? It's just a drop in the bucket, ladies and gentlemen. It's just a little drop in the bucket compared to eternal life with our King. Let's get our perspectives in line with the Lord and the Holy Spirit tonight. Just a drop in the bucket. What we're going to do is we're going to rise up because it produces joy in our life and because we know what we are going to receive at the end of the days. If we are faithful and we do not give up. Amen. 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 On that note, did a little uh, research. You know, I got the privilege of sitting in on the Acts class on Friday and I did a little bit of research. I went in and did a little New Unger study 
for you guys tonight. And the word that I want to read an excerpt from is the word for salvation. This is a topic in New Ungers. Salvation. Listen, listen to what this Bible dictionary has to say about salvation. Salvation. The term refers to various forms of deliverance, both temporal and spiritual. God delivers his people from their enemies and from the snares of the wicked. He also saves by granting forgiveness of sins, answers to prayer, joy, and peace. The Old Testament prophecies center upon one who was to come as the bringer of salvation. Who has an incredible testimony in this place about when the Lord saved you and brought you out of darkness and into light? I know that I do. I know there are absolutely incredible testimonies in this place. Frank has an incredible testimony that I've heard of the Lord bringing him from darkness into light. Cody has an incredible testimony of the Lord bringing him from darkness into light. But you know what? You know what? Our walk with the Lord continues to teach us, even on a daily basis, even in this moment right now. We know, we know right here that salvation is a continual process. We know right here that we're supposed to keep being saved from something. The thing is, is that once we enter into salvation, our testimony is never supposed to end. We're supposed to have daily and weekly testimonies of what the Lord is delivering us from each and every day and each and every week. Don't let your only testimony be the first testimony. Make your testimony a continual testimony that you have something fresh each and every week that you can share with those around you. Your first testimony is powerful. You know what's more powerful? What the Lord's doing right now in your life. Right now. That's the most powerful testimony. Let's turn to Isaiah 33. Talking about this concept of salvation being a continual process. Say there when you're there. Isaiah 33, 2. O Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. What do you do in the morning? You rise up. You rise up in the morning. You see, the first time that you rise up in the morning is only by the grace of God. You really didn't do anything. I mean, you might have set an alarm. But for you to actually wake up, the Lord gives you his grace to rise the very first thing that you do every single day. So by the grace of God, you rise. Throughout the day, you continue to rise. But guess what? You get the choice to rise up every single day. The second half of this verse, our salvation in time of distress. We rise up in the morning by the grace of God. And also by the grace of God, we continue in his salvation even in times of great distress. You guys with me tonight? Amen. Evidently, we need saving more than one time because there are great times of distress in our life now and times of distress coming. We need great saving many times. So there's a Greek way of saying salvation in the word. It's soteria. Anybody recognize that word? Maybe from the word that we use for salvation And all things therein, soterology, that's a way to say salvation that encompasses everything about it. So we have a Greek word, soteria, and we have an English word that we use derived from that called soterology. There's a cognate to this word. It's a Hebrew cognate. They go both ways. Check this out. Hebrew cognate of soteria. Yeshua. Who knew that? Uh, now you know it. Now you remember. Yeshua is the Hebrew cognate of that Greek word that means salvation. Let me write something for you. There's going to be three of these tonight. So Praise God. remember which is which. I'm going to help you out a little bit. Yeshua, several things here. We have a yud, a shin, a vav, an ayin, and a he. I'm going to write this so that we remember. Yeshua. 
what you get here Anybody working it out right now? Thrown into a sharp pressing. That secures your eyes to his look, breath, and revelation. Think about that for a second. Thrown into a sharp pressing that secures your eyes... To his look, breath, and revelation. Doesn't that go with everything that we've been talking about so far? Doesn't that go with everything that you know about salvation? You see, when we enter into salvation, this is what it looks like. We all of a sudden get thrown into sharp pressings. And what the Lord delivered us previously, we continue in his deliverance as He delivers us from these sharp pressings in his good time according to his good pleasure. And that creates present day, current testimonies in our lives and the lives of our brothers. Yeshua, also the name for Jesus. Jesus means salvation. So, the question really is, once we know that, we know what salvation is means the question is are we really walking in salvation today if these sharp pressings are crushing us you see we walk in salvation when we go into a sharp pressing and what it does is it secures our eyes to his look it secures our eyes to his spirit or breath it secures our eyes to his revelation in his word Amen. now if we go into a sharp pressing and we get crushed by it what happens to our salvation walk Oh, we, we lose confidence. We lose confidence in our salvation. We lose confidence in the Lord. We end up losing confidence in ourselves. Rise up. Rise up, men and women of God. Come on. It's time to rise up in salvation. Amen. Let's turn over to Acts 14, 21 and 22. If you recognize that reference, as you should... You remember what it talks about. If we don't rise up, then how is the king of glory going to get his glory? If we don't rise up in the sharp pressings, then we're just like everybody else in the world. We're like everybody else. But I can tell you tonight, I can look you in the eyes and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the spirit that is inside of each one of you is stronger than the spirit in the world. Amen. There is a strength in this room that comes from the spirit of God. And there is a strength in this room that comes from our brothers and our sisters. That no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter what happens the end of this year or into next or whenever, we have a fellowship of believers that is strong, that is firm, and that will not shrink back in the sharp pressing. Amen. 14 verse 21 and 22. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now, verse 21. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of what? Disciples. We know we know that we don't go out just to reach and win converts, right? That's right. Barclay, isn't that right, brother? We don't go out just to reach converts. We go out to make disciples. This is my brother Barclay. This is his wife Rose. Everybody say hi. This couple has a heart for the nations. Amen. Any couple that has a heart for the nations, I'm on board with. I love. I already love this couple. I'm excited to see what the Lord does in their life. And I'm excited about the relationships that are going to be birthed from this night. I'm proud of them. They are a couple of God. If you haven't met them yet, right after this service, you, you guys need to go meet them. They're incredible. Amen. We are called to make disciples. Disciples takes time. Disciples takes lots of time. Just ask our pastors. Just ask me. It takes a lot of time to make disciples. But Paul 
He says, we must go through many hardships. The word must is not objective. It, it is extremely firm. Must means must. There's no way around it. No way around it. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Don't think that something strange is happening to you. Don't think that once this is gone, then it's smooth sailing. Man, there's nothing else to worry about after this. Oh my goodness. Once next week hits and this trial is done, I'm home free. I'm a free man. I'm going to be free to do the things I want to do. I can even get in the word a little bit more. Guess what? On comes the next sharp pressing. Let's not deceive ourselves. We got glory for the king of kings to attain for him. We have glory to attain for our king. Don't think that we're getting out of this. There's no one. Must is must. Look, if you, if you are questioning your salvation in this place tonight, if you have a question whether you are saved or not, think about how hard it has been. Think about the sharp pressings that you've gone through. You are saved because the Lord is throwing you in sharp pressings. Don't escape them. Don't run from them. Don't come out of them. Stay there. It, it secures up your salvation. It allows you to walk the salvation walk that the Lord has destined for you to walk in. Don't shrink back from the pressings. You know, David, he had a life full of these. He also had a heart after God, but he had a life full of these sharp pressings. We're going to look at one of them. Everybody, please turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. We'll set the scene here with just a couple of verses, verse 13 and 14. It'll set the stage for us. It says, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Who's Absalom? It's David's son. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. This is one of the most stressful and hard pressings of David's entire life. His own son. His own son marching in to take the capital city of David's kingdom. That's huge. Man, that's hard. That's a sharp pressing. Think about if you were David. Put yourself in his shoes for a second. Think about your son marching against you, wanting your very life and your very kingdom. Wow. That's huge. If you read that passage and, and we don't put ourselves in that spot, then we miss something big. This is a sharp pressing for David. Maybe if we discover how David responded, it, it will give us some sort of strength and some sort of hope and direction for how we're supposed to respond as well, right? Yeah. Let's go to verse 30. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Head covered, feet uncovered. These are sure signs of great stress and mourning. David goes up to the Mount of Olives. This is precious. You know, this is, this is only one of two times in the whole Older Testament that the Mount of Olives is even mentioned. David, a shadow and a type of Christ himself, under one of the most stressful and hard times of his entire life, wow. we're, we're, we're going to the Mount of Olives. He takes everyone with him and he goes there. Luke 22. We have another sharp pressing here. One that we're very familiar with. Verse 39. Jesus went up as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, 
knelt down and prayed. Another sharp pressing here with Jesus himself, Yeshua, salvation. What does Mount Olives mean anyway? What does the Mount of Olives have anything to do with this sharp pressing? Something very interesting here. I think you guys might find this interesting. Mount of Olives. It's a Zion, a Yud, and a Tav to get nourishment for his work on the cross. See, Mount of Olives is a little bit deeper than we initially thought. There was a place that Jesus went to get nourishment before that work on the cross. And that was the Mount of Olives. If you don't know what I'm doing here, there is something called Paleo-Hebrew, which is the oldest set of letters in the Hebrew alphabet that we know about. And every single letter that makes up one Hebrew word has a meaning. Every letter. What we're doing is we're taking the three letters in Mount of Olives, and we're getting nourishment is the first letter, work is the second letter, and cross is the third letter. We're taking those meanings and we're deriving a secondary meaning from those words, if you didn't know what we were doing there, to get nourishment for his work on the cross. That, that made me dig even more. That made me start to dig. I wanted to know what this looked like. Why? How? Verse 39 says something telling. As usual. As usual. Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. Turn back a page to Luke 21. Verse 37 and 38. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Wow. Okay. So Jesus fell asleep and woke up at this place of nourishment that prepared him for his work on the cross. That is just incredible. You know, I don't know how it works in your household, but, you know, sometimes, every once in a while, my wife and I have a little bit of a disagreement, just every once in a while. When those disagreements happen, they more often than not happen at night or in the morning. More often than not. Think about your own life. Think about the times where you've fallen. Doesn't it more often than not happen the very end of the night or just when you're getting your day ready, something happened and you don't get it started right? You don't continue in the grace of God to wake up in that place of nourishment. So this says a lot here. Jesus spent those most crucial moments of night and morning in his place of nourishment. Amen. Wouldn't that help us? Yes. Wouldn't that help us? Instead of fighting with my wife, we're in the presence of the Lord. That changes everything. That changes everything. And guess what? It's the hardest times to be there, isn't it? You're waking up. You're like, oh, man. Man, I don't feel like doing anything right now. I just, I'm just trying to get out of bed and brush my teeth like a normal person. I, it's the hardest. But guess what? It's, it's those moments that produce in our life the most glory for the king. So it's really a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. The point of the Mount of Olives was nourishment. Amen. That's the point. Amen. We need that. Now thinking about Jesus every day, every morning and every night on this Mount of Olives to get nourishment for his work on the cross, turn on back few more pages to Luke chapter 9. Verse 23, Then he said to them all, 
if anyone would come after me, somebody say anyone. If anyone would come after me, that means no exceptions, no exemptions. If anyone would come after me, what? He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, it wasn't just Jesus' cross that he was getting nourishment for. He was setting a precedent for his own followers that when you take up your cross Every single day, there is a place that you get nourishment. And if you don't go to that place of nourishment for your own work on your own cross, you're not going to get it done that day. You're just not going to get it done. We have to get to this place of nourishment. We must get there. Because if we do not, then we will fail. We will drop the cross that the Lord God destined for us to carry that day. We'll drop it. It'll fall to the floor because we don't have the proper nourishment to carry it right. We need to to get nourishment from our Father. All right. Last one. Promise. Hallelujah. There are many words, as I'm sure you guys know, there are many words in the Old Testament in Hebrew for prayer. But there is one common word used in everyday life for prayer. It's this word. You can spell it multiple ways. I'm just spelling it one phonetic way. Tefillah. Am I doing okay, Treester? Amen. I know I didn't pronounce that right. I'm sorry. Our brother Treester is learning Hebrew. Amen. Prayer. It's made up of four letters. A tav, a pei, a lama, a hey. Man, watch how this brings it all together. Taking up your cross by blowing or praying, using your mouth, to bind yourself to his spirit. Can you believe that? said that was the last one. Prayer. Taking up your cross by blowing or praying to bind yourself to his spirit. I think we've found the key to something here that we're about to unlock in the next few moments. Taking up your cross by blowing or praying to bind yourself to his spirit. You cannot take up your daily cross without doing that. You can't take up your cross daily without first doing this very thing. Turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy 4. We're going to start in the law. It's a good place to start. It's the foundation. Deuteronomy chapter 4. You remember what Eric said on Monday night when he was teaching out of Exodus chapter 29, we were talking, and Eric said something very, very interesting. He said, look, you can't give others what you have not received. If you haven't received nourishment or had an experience with the Lord recently, then you cannot give to others what you do not have. That is a powerful, powerful message. That's a powerful phrase. That was talking about the consecration of priests. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and see what it says. Verse 3 and 4. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. So we immediately, in these two verses, we have a distinction between those who followed the Baal of Peor and those who held fast to the Lord their God. There's some sort of clear line of distinction. Look down at verse 7 with me. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? Look, the Lord our God 
is near to us when we pray. Uh, Islam, their God is not near to them when they pray. Hinduism, their God is not near to them when they pray. Uh, Pastafarianism, Jacob, wherever you are, their God is not near to them when they pray. I tell you, this is the only one. This is the only one. There, there is, I'm talking to my brother Barclay last night. He's got a heart for Islam. Amen. That, that, that beats, that, that agrees with my spirit so much. Because guess what? Once they feel, and once they pray, and once they see, once they experience the nourishment that we have and constantly have, once they experience that testimony of yesterday and today, Frank, the one that you have right now, once they experience that, they will never, ever be the same. They will never be the same because their God doesn't come near to them when they pray. And our God does. The important part about this, the, the, the most important part, is that you can get near to him. You can draw near to him. That prayer draws you near. Baal of Peor, the Lord of the gap. What does your gap in your prayer life look like? You see, when we have large, gaping, huge gaps in our prayer life, we might just be serving the Baal of Peor in the middle of that gap just while right in time to come back to the Lord and draw near to him. What do the gaps in your prayer life look like? Are they huge? Are they gaping? Do you get to a point in your day where you realize, oh my goodness, it's been hours. It's been hours since I've prayed. It's been hours since I drew close to the Lord. I want my heart tonight is to encourage you. My heart tonight is to lift you up that there is more. There is a closeness there is an intimacy, there is a walk, there is, there is something more for this body. There is more of an intimacy and a closeness and a nearness with our, with our God and a nourishment that will provide for us something that we can give to the others around us. Amen. I want to encourage you tonight. Let's turn over to Isaiah 37. Straight to the prophets. You guys all right tonight? You guys having an all right night tonight? I'm really, really looking forward to the flip side of things tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. Because the Lord has more nourishment for us. I tell you, the beginning was sweet. Peyton worship team, it was sweet. But man, there is more for us tonight. There is more. I'm so hungry for it. I can taste it. I can taste it tonight. I want more nourishment from the king. I want more of what I need this night. I want to I rest my head tonight on the Mount of Olives, right next to him. Isaiah 37, 4. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. Look, there's a prayer rising up here, and it's, it's this. Jesus, let not this remnant among us become the majority. Let not one person in this remnant among us become part of the majority that is not a part of you. See, I'm not willing that any, anyone would fall away from this fellowship. I'm not willing that anyone would fall into the clutches of sin and a lack of nourishment from the Father. Pray that the remnant survives is the prayer that goes up in Isaiah 37. The greatest army the world has to offer is against us. King Hezekiah in this chapter, the greatest army that the world had to offer was against him. There was one thing that he could do. One thing. Go to his place of nourishment. That was it. That was the only thing that he could do. Guys, we're in the exact same spot. The world has, has mustered the greatest army that they can. The army of Satan is against us. There's only one thing that we can do to gain proper nourishment. There's only one thing that we can do to remain the remnant of God. Go there. Go there. 
consistently, confidently go there. Jeremiah 42. This verse just blessed me. Simple verse, but powerful. Packs a punch. Then all the army officers, including Johanan, son of Korea, and Jezaniah, son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest approached Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, Please hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were once many, now only a few are left. Ask your pastors. Ask the ones that have been in the faith for a little while. This is true. Though the remnant was once many, many have fallen away. Though the remnant was once huge, many have fallen away up to this point. Verse 3 says, Pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. You know how to stay in the remnant? Get your nourishment. While you're getting your nourishment, pray to the Lord God that he'll tell you exactly where to go and exactly what to do. Is that encouraging to you? Exactly where to go and exactly what to do, and you will stay the remnant of God on the earth. You will stay there. Turn with me. 2 Kings chapter 5. My desire tonight, my desire tonight is that in our very heart of hearts, in our very deepest place, we would cry out to the Lord and say, I am yours. Amen. In our very deepest place of our heart, we would cry out and say, Lord, I'm, I'm really yours. I, I really, really am yours. I really, really am part of this remnant. Look, I don't deserve to be here. But I'm here nonetheless, and I really, really am yours, no matter what. No matter what sharp pressing I go through, no matter what, I'm here. 2 Kings 5, 10 through 13. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash, set, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more? How much more? Then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. The problem is, is that we're looking to be part of some great thing for God. But we have neglected the heavier, weightier, bigger thing, which is the cleansing and the purifying of ourselves before that even takes place. How much more? Calve Comer, the light and the heavy. You know, the big thing is actually the lighter thing in this passage. The big thing for the Lord is the lighter thing. The purity, the purity is the heavier matter in this passage. How much more should you wash and be cleansed? How much more should we be cleansed? How much more should we be nourished? That's a good word. Then, then the big things for the Lord will come. Yeah. Then, the moving and the gifts will come. Then the preaching will come. Yeah. Then these things will come. Work on your purity. Work on being pure before the Lord. Amen. Search yourself and scrape your heart. Scrape it. Second Chronicles chapter 7. We love this verse. And with good reason. When we read it, let's read it like it was the very first time we ever saw this verse. Like, like for the very, very first time, fresh eyes. 
Maybe like an illusion that it was the first time that we ever laid eyes on this verse. You ready? 1 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 13 and into 14. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. Wait, my people. My people. You mean, they were thrown into a sharp pressing just like we are. They were the people of God and they were sharply pressed. What did they do with it? If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That is a good promise. That is a good return on your investment. That is a good return for the things that are coming at you in this life. That's a good return. He's going to heal your land. He's going to hear from heaven. What else is he going to do? He's going to forgive your sin. He's going to forgive your sin and heal you. The interesting thing, the interesting thing, the first time that I saw this when I read it a couple days ago, will humble themselves and pray. Something had to come first. Something came before prayer, and it was humility. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 5. You know, something, something might be coming in between that prayer, life, that nourishment that you absolutely need. Something might be coming in between that. And, you know, there are many fig leaves for this. You know, I was really, really busy today. We're all busy. I was really, really tired today. We're all tired. I was really, really fill in the blank. There are all kinds of fig leaves, but there's really one primary reason why we don't get the nourishment that we need. One primary reason. Let's start in Psalm 5. I want you guys to get the nourishment that you need. Amen. I've seen the difference that it makes in my life. I've seen the difference that it makes in my family's life. I've seen the difference that it makes in the lives of some of you in here. We need this, guys. We need it. We need it more than anything else. We need to be nourished from the heavens. And there's one main barrier of entry that always seems to get in the way. We're going to wipe away those fig leaves tonight, and we're going to see exactly what it is in Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help. My King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. Praise God, the Scripture's testifying about itself. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Here we go. Verse 4 and 5. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You mean, you mean there's a progression here? You mean if my pride and my arrogance is in the way, then it's going to prevent me from, from getting the nourishment through my prayer life that I need. There's arrogance that always comes before and in between the nourishment. Arrogance, that's exactly what it is. Let's call it out for exactly what it is. We're prideful because we think that we can make decisions by ourselves. We're strong enough. We've been walking with the Lord enough. We've been in church enough. We've been in the deep presence of God enough. I can do this. Don't let your arrogance get in the way tonight. Don't let your arrogance get in the way ever again. Humble yourself and pray. Seek the face of God. Then you don't even have to worry about the rest of that verse because you are so soft and pliable and humble in God's hand. You know what? I'm going to ask the Lord for everything just like a little kid. Lord God, I don't know what to do. I really don't because there really is no good way in me and I'm not just saying it anymore. I'm actually meaning it because I'm proving it with my prayer life. Your prayer life, it, it's going to get tested and it better get approved. You have the privilege and the opportunity for it to get approved. 
Daniel chapter 6. I also like the book of Daniel. Great book. Lots of things in it I don't yet understand, but I'm seeking the Lord. There, Judah? Let's do it. Verse 6 says, So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O king Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. We're talking about Daniel in the lion's den. Right here. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians. Shout out for Persia. Which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned (laughs) that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day. Somebody say, three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he has done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for nourishment. I mean, help. It wasn't the fact that after the edict came out, Daniel started praying and that was the great work. That was awesome. He stood up to the king. He stood up to all the king's advisors, all the greatest and most powerful men of his day. He stood up to them and did what the Lord told him to do. But guess what? I'm going to infer tonight that it was Daniel's previous prayer life that allowed him to stand up in the current sharp pressing of his life. You see, it was the things that he did the days beforehand, the nourishment that he got before, all the buildup of being in God's presence, of doing what he knew he had to do to to accomplish God's will in his lifetime. He did it all. And when that sharp pressing came, boom, he knew exactly how to deal with it. He knew exactly where to go. He knew exactly how to get the most glory for his king. So guess what? He just did what he knew how to do. He just did what he always did. What he always did. Let us do what we always do. When those hard pressings come, when those great things for the Lord come, guess what? You're going to do what you always have done. Let us us dive in to this nourishment. Let us dive in to a rich and constant prayer life with the King of Kings. When those great things come, we will be equipped to handle them according to our King's decree. Our King's decree. You know, it's, it's been said... A man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by man. A man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by man. It was because of Daniel's previous prayer life that he was not intimidated. He, He wasn't. He was not intimidated by the king's edict. So, we've gone through Old Testament law, prophets, and writings. Let's jump over to the new for a second. Matthew 26. Man, if, if some of you in this room can get a hold of the concept that we're about to read in this verse right here, it will be a lifesaver. And I'm not talking figuratively. I'm talking literally. A lifesaver. Matthew 26, verse 41. Listen to this. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now listen to this. Prayer. Prayer is the cure for backsliding. Prayer is the cure for backsliding. You hear that? Watch and pray. You know, I read a different translation in this verse just to get a slightly different perspective, just to kind of get my mind rolling in a different direction. The NASB says, keep 
watching and praying continually. That was a beautiful change in that verse for me. Keep watching and praying so that you will not fall into temptation. Prayer is that cure that you have been looking for. It's so simple, it's right in front of our faces. It's the cure for backsliding. It's the cure for feeling far away. It's the cure for falling into sin, even habitual sin. Prayer is the cure. It's what cures us and heals us. It's what nourishes our body after desolation. It heals us. It brings what we need. We need a more fervent and complete prayer life. Amen. It's going to strengthen us in every way. Nourish us for all good things in the Lord. Let's turn to Luke 21. Man, there is such freedom. There is such freedom in prayer. There is such freedom walking with the Lord. There is such freedom in, in being nourished by Him. There is freedom in it. Nobody, nobody is trying to weigh anybody down with a word tonight. I, I, I just want to make sure that you guys understand that. This is an encouraging word. It's a good word. It's an encouraging word. This is not to weigh you down. This is not to put more pressure to try to fill up your already busy day. This is how we live. Yes. This is how we get nourishment. This yeah. is how we do the will of God. Amen. Luke 21, 34. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. You know, we can be walking desolate of nourishment, and the anxieties of life, the worries all around us can actually make us drunk. Drunk on life. Yeah. We, we do not have right judgment. We can't judge rightly. We can't see rightly. We can't hear rightly. We can't do rightly. We can't obey rightly. We can't do anything rightly because we're so drunk on the worries of our lives all around us. Puts us in a state where we, we, we don't even know where God's throne is from anything else drunk on the anxieties of life. Let's continue reading. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Escape all that is about to happen. That's an interesting phrase. Don't you think that what he's talking about is that trap that's being set for you in verse 34? You're going to escape the trap of being drunk on life's worries and anxieties. You're going to escape the trap of the day of the Lord in its judgment if what you do is you're always on the watch and you pray. Amen. We, will not, we will not fall to that trap in this place. Right. We will escape that trap in here. Somebody with me? Yes. Are you going to escape that trap? Yes. We are no longer going to walk around drunk on life's worries. We're no longer going to walk around not knowing where up from down is because we're so worried about the things going on. We're going to get the nourishment and fill our bellies with what we actually need from the king. And that is what is going to lead us on a day-to-day -day basis. That is what we're going to feed on. That is what our body is going to grow from. The nourishment from God. Not the worries of the world. If you didn't notice, verse 37 and 38, we read those earlier. Yeah, that's, that's every night on the Mount of Olives. Okay, I got, a, I got a Leonard Ravenhill quote for you. Love Leonard Ravenhill. Watch this. No man is greater than his prayer life. <laughs> no man is greater than his prayer life. Put yourself in that for just a second. I am not greater than my prayer life. Impossible, I cannot be. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. How true is that based on what we've just read? We have many organizers but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. 
Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Failing here. Failing to get that nourishment in the midst of sharp pressings, we fail everywhere. Everywhere. Ephesians chapter 6, please. Let's, let's move on to the New Testament writings. Real, real simple here. 618. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Straightforward, simple, very hard. Very hard. But we can do it. We can do it. We focus our mind, we can do it. Even now, even now during the Word, you can pray. You can pray in your mind. You can pray under your breath. You can ask the Lord to show you, reveal your heart even now. Sharabasi, mighty God, show me. Show me my heart. Show me my heart tonight. I want, I want nourishment from you. Even now, even now you can. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. How are we alert? It's by getting the nourishment from prayer. Alertness is the absolute opposite of getting drunk on the worries of life. Absolute opposite of being anxious about everything and anything. Alert is what we're commanded to be, and alert is what we will be in the name of Jesus. Ephesians 3, flip back a couple pages. We're going to start in a verse that we love in this church. 3.10. His intent was that now through the church. Who's the church in this place? You guys. Me. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. Approach Him with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. Not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Amen. Verse 14. For this reason. For the reason of the sufferings. For the reason of the sharp pressings. For the reason of the nourishment. I kneel before the Father. Look, there are many things that I go through. But you guys know, as much as I know, Paul is saying, you know where my source is. You know where I go. He's, re he's reminding them and encouraging them. Look at 19. What's our goal? What's our goal? What are we aiming at? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's not a powerful verse to you. I don't know what is. You're fooled to the, filled to the fullness the full measure of God Almighty. That is huge. Amen. I want to be filled to the full measure of yes. God. Amen. I want to be filled to the fullest. I actually want to be filled more than that. I want to flow. I want to overflow. I want it to pour out in this place. Amen. That's my goal. Amen. You're A couple more here. Stick, stick with me. It's going to get to a point. We're there. Jude 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Interesting thing about this verse is we're talking about the body of Christ here. Following mere natural instincts, not following the Spirit. That, this is about the body, but you are not that way. You are not that way, and you're not going to be that way. We will receive the nourishment from the Spirit, and we will follow Him. We're not going to be this way. Amen. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. 
Keep yourselves in God's love. There it is again. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. You know, I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed today at the thought that the one who is above all hears my prayer. Yeah. Overwhelmed. Absolutely just overtaken with emotion. You know, the one who is above all not only hears your prayer and my prayer, but he's here in this place Amen. tonight. Amen. He's here in this place. My daughter, AJ, you all know her, two years old. Every time we get into the car, every time, Daddy, pray. Every time. Every time she gets in that car seat and we start driving, Daddy, pray. Every time she's around some sort of food, Daddy, pray. Every time she falls down, bumps herself, hurts herself, Daddy, pray. Doesn't matter what the situation is. She wants to pray. She's got it right. We've got it wrong. She's got it right. I've got it wrong. Look, if you sow good seed, you'll receive good seed. If you sow good seed, if you, if you do this, if you get your nourishment, if you get your prayer, you'll get it straight in return. It will not be void. It will not be for nothing. I want to be like that child. Amen. I've got two more verses here. Peyton, you can come up if you'd like. 1 Timothy 5. This one struck me in a whole new way. Verse 5, we're talking about widows here. Don't let that fool you. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. If we're talking about widows here. Don't count yourself out. How much more? How much more? We're talking about a widow. You know, you can see if a widow is really in need by her prayer life. You can see if you're really in need by your prayer life. Are you really in need? Or are you not really in need? And every once in a while, you throw a prayer at God. You can see the level of your need for Him by the level and maturity of your own prayer life. I want to pray more. I want to have a prayer life that glorifies the King. Last verse. Revelation 5. Verse 8 says talking about the Lamb. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We're having communion tonight. Tonight's a communion night. You know, his blood purchased your obedience. Your obedience is made complete by your prayer life. Amen. I want with all my heart that, that his blood not be wasted because... I fail in the weightier, heavier things of this life. I fail in the purity. I fail in my prayer life. I want to be right with him. Amen. 
I want to make his blood worth my life. And it starts with intimacy and prayer. This is an amazing verse here. Incense means fragrant aroma. Fragrant aroma. Our constant and fervent prayers, they actually burn up our flesh. It's an aroma that the Lord smells and it is pleasing to him. He loves it. He enjoys it. You know, he cherishes it so much that he keeps it close to him for an opportune time. When we pray, we give off something that the Lord loves. How many of you want to please him tonight? You know, we we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to give off that aroma tonight, to burn off that flesh tonight, to get that nourishment tonight, to go deeper tonight. It doesn't have to start at this altar, but it could. Tonight is the night that we make good on our promise. Tonight is the night that we change our attitude about these sharp pressings. Tonight is the night that we get rid of this habitual sin once and for all in our life and we never return. Tonight is the night that we start on a journey that is new and fresh and nourishing to us. Let's stand.